Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center in McHenry, Illinois, which is the Northwest Chicago suburbs. Um, we're glad you joined us today. We have uh, a few things to talk about, including the number one killer of outdoor birds um, in uh, the United States. We're going to discuss a little bit about what you can do about that problem. Also, the number one question when it comes to surgery, is my pet going to be able to be put to sleep? Is my pet going to be safe under anesthesia? This is a major concern, a major reason people just worry so much about having surgery, even as something as simple as a dental cleaning for an animal, because you know they have to be put under for that. So we're going to talk about why there are only safe anesthetists. It's not necessarily your drugs. Everyone uses the same drugs. They use the same drugs in the human hospital. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about... Um, the technique of your anesthetist and why that's so important. Um, we have pet waste and water quality and you might be polluting lakes and streams. So we've got a couple of outdoor um, environmental things to talk about today with the birds and with this. And it looks like there are several different kinds of bacteria that can be spread throughout. And also an oncology referral when an oncology referral isn't in the cards, this is a problem that we see many times a week from people seeking holistic care because they don't want to go through the rigors of an oncology program, a formal oncology program. And it's also pretty expensive when it's um, traditional veterinary medicine. Um, and, you know, while that is effective, some people just can't afford it. So, and, you know, they're looking at probably a situation where the animal it's it's sort of a payoff benefit ratio as well. Right. So, um, so we'll talk about some of the solutions we have for people who come in here seeking advice on their pet's cancer. First, we have <laughs> we have this feral cat You're that we've taken in. So he was a barn cat, and he was he came to our house to live with his mom and his brother. It's okay. Yeah. He was about eight weeks old. His name, well, I think we named him Simon now, and he um, this kitty. The mom and the brother disappeared and this kitty screamed and screamed and screamed for about pretty much seven days. His mm. voice never wore out. He never, he never even cracked uh, a vocal cord or anything. And so Simon came to the vet clinic for a while because we're not quite sure what to do with him. So like you can see Grace is back here. Grace is our lovely technician. Come Hi. on up here. Um, she's back here, you know, holding Simon, but he only wants to be held for so long. So He's barn raised and he's sort of friendly, but only he's got like a threshold is that there's a difference though among the feralness of a cat. Right. They, they have a fight or flight response. It's a little lower uh, than the average domestic cat. So he would be considered more of a conservative metal element. So he can handle uh, so much cuddling time and then he wants to get down because his instincts have taken over. It says, okay, mm -hmm. I'm being held a little too long. I need to get down. So, uh, no, that's still the feral nature that's still implanted in the kittens. And the, the level of domestication is dependent really on the mom and dad. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So if you have two feral parents, there the likelihood that those kittens are going to be feral is really 100% because they teach that is the behavior is genetic. And so if those parents are extremely feral, those kittens are going to adopt that right away. Mm-hmm. So those are the type of kittens that you 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 can never really catch. You can get close to them, you they'll let they'll you can feed them, you can maybe even pet them on the, the head and shoulder, but that's about mm-hmm. it. You try to pick them up and they go crazy. He, yeah. Right. He turns, he turns wild. Right. I let him out just in the office here the other day. Cause I felt sorry for him. Cause he wanted attention. And every time somebody goes by, he cries. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to let him out in the office. And it took like, like 18 hours to catch him. Yeah. He turned on. He some likes of that Grace. So he went to her um, immediately, which was great, <laughs> but he wouldn't come to the rest of us. So, um, but it turns out that cats like him, you know, are going to have a rough winter. So if you're in the northern states, I actually wanted to share my screen with you and show you this cool link, which I will actually post uh, to our Facebook page. Here it is. It's called um, a new leash online. And they have a feral cat shelter instruction pack here. Um, This is really cool. It's a PDF. It shows you how to use a styrofoam cooler and just like a tote and how to insulate it. And you can find all of these products pretty easily. You insulate it with hay. Um, You could probably do it with straw, anything like that. Um, It's a really cute little cat shelter. Um, And actually here at the clinic, we get vaccines in those um, containers those big like styrofoam coolers. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's kind of what we were saving those to do was to make some feral cat shelters. So that was um, something that you can do at home to help feral cats. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be cold. I mean, any cat's going to want to get in out of the rain. So um, the cat's are kind of a bad combination with nature though. It turns out cats are the biggest threat to biodiversity around the globe. Cats have contributed to the extinction of 63 species of birds, mammals, and reptiles in the wild and continue to adversely impact a wide variety of other species that uh, are out there. So predation by domestic cats is the number one direct human-caused threat to birds in the United States and Canada. So um, the feral cat, you know, has its role. Um, You know, it does keep down mice but they are also responsible for killing approximately 2.4 billion birds every year. And that's in the United States alone. So feral cats, good. And they definitely have their downside. So definitely something that to think about um, if you're looking to help a feral cat, um, obviously you want to spay and neuter your own cat. So we don't get into that because um, a feral cat in seven years, one single female cat and her kittens can produce 420,000 more cats. Um, I don't know the survivability of feral cats. Do you have any idea what it is? It's certainly got to be a, lo- a shorter lifespan than anybody else. For sure. It's much lower than an indoor domestic cat because there's a lot more threats um, to you know, poisoning, to being injured, uh, you know, hit by car situations, um, disease, uh, can, especially uh, feline leukemia and FIV. So it can be relatively short, you know, less than five years in some conditions uh, where the average domestic cat nowadays indoors 13, 14 years. Mm, okay. Um, so don't feed and forget feral cats. So if you start feeding a feral cat colony or you kind of know where one is, you should probably start feeding and then just kind of continue to keep going out there, making sure everybody's all right. There aren't some, you know, major injuries to the cats. That's one huge thing that 
that happens in the wild. Uh, abscesses, I think, assume are one of the biggest problems from cats fighting with each other. Right. Cat abscesses are ugh, awful. And they're <laughs> like one of the worst things I think you can treat in the animal hospital mm-hmm. because they just get so bad and so big so fast. And they're very painful. They do because cats have that very sharp tooth. So they're, it's like injecting bacteria. Okay. And so that's what uh, that bacteria gets trapped very quickly because it seals up extremely fast. And then uh, you can get a massive abscess uh, very, very quickly. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the, if you're out in the wild, that's not going to heal very well. If it eventually mm-hmm. ruptures, then the cat has an increased survivability. But if it doesn't, the cat can get very toxic and die from uh, septicemia. Mm, yeah. So it's, uh, so, it, you know, feeding them is important because you know, if they have a source of food, they're less likely to be a predator and look for other outside sources. Uh, so if they have a regular place, a regular feeding area, uh, they're going to be more full and less uh, apt to go after the, the songbirds and other birds in, in general. So, uh, you know, that's important, but it also gives you an opportunity to manage feral colonies. Is If you see one that's sick, that you can uh, catch uh, usually entrap them with a life trap uh, and bring them to the veterinary office for care and then uh, typically at that time they're marked you know with a, uh, a, a small notch in the ear or a tattoo or something like that where they can be identified mm-hmm. so if you catch them again or it's usually easier if they have a little notch in the ear that you can see it and go okay that's the one we treated because sometimes mm-hmm. it'll look the same or you yeah. won't be able to tell for sure which i think one. some organizations are now like with the female cats just writing uh tattooing spade on their stomach mm-hmm. so you know you don't like accidentally go back in and try to respay a cat that's already been spayed right um getting them down putting them you know under anesthesia very difficult handling them very difficult yes. and um, tending to their abscesses, super gross and very difficult because you have to go in and manually drain the abscess. Um, so pretty gross, but at the same time, well, one of those things. Yeah, and the scary part, unfortunately, they're not um, they're, they're not as apt to be vaccinated, obviously. Yes, yeah, so, so you have to make sure they have a rabies shot and make sure right. that they're all good on, on all those fronts, too. So. There are groups that do work with them. So you can just Google that in your local area. Um, I think I Googled it here and found like maybe 10 or 15. So easy yeah. to find. Um, one was really cute. The name was Fixin' Felines. Isn't that cute? <laughs> yeah. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think they're in Chicago or somewhere around there. So so um, volunteering your time and becoming a colony caretaker, all great things to do. Um, there is actually a little feral colony just down the road from us, just out in the middle of the country, right by the road. You see them running back and forth. I think I saw one the other day running through our property. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's a good thing to do. Um, one of the neighbors does seem to be taking care of them, leaving food out for them and, and yeah. everything. So I think they have a whole dug like, you know, in the side of the ditch where they've got their little cat cave and everything going, but they've been going for quite a long time down oh, yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so your feral cat update, I guess. Um, so um, speaking, you know, kind of talking a little bit about the feral cats and cats that, you know, cats and dogs both that need to go under and have surgery. The AVMA published um, in December in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association, anesthesiologists and, you know, kind of the safe agents that are available to people. People get really worried about this. They think, especially if there is, um, 
you know, the possibility that a pet might end up um, being, um, you know, passing away under anesthesia or maybe not breathing or not being monitored correctly. Or, I mean, there's just so many things that can happen under anesthesia. But I think a lot of people become like hyper concerned about that. Um, so, you know, when you have somebody like that, that's really, really worried, how do you alleviate their fears? Well, first of all, we have to talk about the plan because if, if you understand the, the process of anesthesia and the protocol, you're going to have a much greater comfort level. Um, you understand the medicine, how it works, uh, what are the expectations, what, what are the risks? Uh, even for elective surgery, like a spay or neuter, uh, you should still be aware of the type of anesthetics used. Um, their anesthetics are much safer than they used to be but they're still considered an unsafe drug. The anesthetist, uh, myself including as a surgeon, uh, take great uh, strides in making sure that we've, uh, you know, we double check the dosages. We make sure that the, the patient is been, uh, you know, prepped for surgery to make sure that they're healthy, even the day of surgery, to make sure that they can still undergo anesthesia. And you have a monitor, you know, they're hooked up to monitors, just like you would be in a regular human hospital. So the agents they use to put animals under anesthesia are very similar or the same as a human hospital. So sevoflurane is a really top anesthetic agent, and that's the gas anesthesia that your pet breathes after you put a tube down their throat. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sevoflurane is used in like 98% of human pediatric patients. So mm-hmm. it's why it makes it such a good choice because you wake up very quickly after surgery um, and the animal can be wake, awakened within, I don't know, minutes, mm-hmm. 15 minutes after surgery. That's yeah, very quick. So the, the first line is using gas anesthesia, but there are some patients that if they're fractious, going under if we're doing a procedure on a very on a feral animal or a very fractious animal uh, we have to use unfortunately much stronger medications uh, in the im injection which we have a little less control over the depth of anesthesia i like to use reversible products like dextormator in which the anesthetin is a reversal for that so they can come through the the anesthesia much faster Mm -hmm. Uh, so it depends on the temperament also um, the pre-surgical blood work um, pre-surgical x-ray if necessary, especially on at-risk uh, patients if we're doing uh, tumor surgeries and things like that in which they're sick and have to have surgery. Uh, but most of the time we're doing um, you know, healthy pet elective and non-elective procedures that go very, very well. So there was an, a study in 2008 in the Journal of Veterinary Anesthesia and Analgesia I'm sorry, did I say that right? I'm not saying it right. (laughs) Okay, let's just call it anesthesia. Okay, so they did a study in the UK of 100,000 dogs and 80,000 cats. This is over a two-year period of time, according to the JABMA. The risk of death was one in 1,849 for healthy dogs and one in 75 for sick dogs. And if you're talking about cats, it was one in 895 for healthy cats and one in 71 for sick cats. So pretty similar. Um, Could it be zero? Probably, I guess. Through the years, um, you know, most of the time, if if we've done uh, thousands of surgeries, is that the classic is uh, 1%, but a lot of times we can get down to 0.1% risk. 
Mm-hmm. And um, the more uh, the percentage can definitely go up higher if, if you're a specialty surgery center and you're doing a lot of at-risk patients, those risks can go up much higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but far and away with elective procedures, you're getting in that 0.1% range, which is really one in 10,000 anesthetized patients, which is very low. You know? Okay. And, um, you know, we recently had somebody whose cat um, a couple times did, you know, they, they were warned ahead of time, this is going to take your cat a really long time to wake up because it was just so fractious. You couldn't work on it at all. I mean, it had to be sedated for absolutely everything. Um, and the, you know, it, it did take a lot of extra time. It went into the evening hours. Um, and, but that, you know, it it will happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that will happen, especially when your cat is 15 or 16 years old. Right. And we're above all, we're doing no harm at the same time. Uh, some of the, the pre surgical things go out the window with a fractious animal, because obviously you can't blood test them ahead of time Mm. because they're fractious. Um, you can't do a complete physical because they're fractious. So they move into that at-risk category mm-hmm. because they're not able to be worked up. At the same time, we're using anesthetics because we can get their weight at least and know that we're getting the right anesthesia on board. But in this case, even with an older patient, we have to use much stronger medication, obviously reversible, but at the same time, the post anesthetic recovery can be much longer. Mm-hmm. And so we go over the risk ahead of time. We talk to the owner and say that, you know, this is going to be a prolonged recovery. Mm-hmm. So when you do take them home, be aware of that. If they're not going to recover as quickly, definitely call us back and let us know how mm-hmm. the patient's recovering. Because uh, there are instances, um, and especially as we're waiting on blood work for this kitty, we don't know what exactly is wrong yet. But at the same time, we're trying to do the best for the cat, even though it's fractious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's a, one of those kind of tough call things. It is. It's like, I want to treat you, but I can't. <laughs> right. So what do you do? You, you know, you, you, can't you let the cat go and. <laughs> you can't talk to him. Right. You can't reason with him and tell him everything's going to be fine. You just no. got to hold still for your blood draw. So. Right. And it's very dangerous. There's obviously risks with, mm-hmm. with bites, you know. Especially cat bites, uh, we end up oh in God. the ER, oh, you know, at least 50% of the time because oh, yeah. uh, a lot of people are sensitive yeah. to that. Uh, the staff, and obviously, high-risk job when you're dealing with a, a mean animal. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's definitely some, some risk there is for, uh, for the worker. Right. Um, I mean, in the cat bites, I think that's one of the things I think sometimes when people come in and they're looking at, well, I don't know, what do I want to do here? I think one of the biggest issues is that it is like um, the worker that you have to protect and people kind of forget that. They do. They, and they feel sometimes that their pet is lovely and, and perfect There's at home. Nothing but wrong then and we put you should them be in. able to do that without anything or, right. you know, right. and and it's it, not the case. It's just not going to happen. And, you know, you got to, had to crack down a little on it, you know, because people would want to come in for a nail trim, but it takes four or five people. Okay. If your dog's snarling and one of our girls got hit pretty bad in the jaw by a very big dog that was just really fractious and terrified of getting its nails done. It had a terrible experience before. It's not the dog's fault. No. And, but, you know, it's just one of those things that it can't be done without um, worker safety in mind. And our workers, you know, um, we, absolutely cherish the workers we have right now and value them 
very, very highly because they're all just such really good people. They are. And you have to watch out for them. You do because, uh, you know, you want the pet to be safe, but the staff that are working with them have to be safe too. And there's Mm -hmm. a fine line there. Um, And, you know, if we're stressing the pet out with, if we have to uh, restrain them heavily Mm -hmm. to get just a simple nail trim done, I'm often going to the trainers and saying, no, we need to have a trainer involvement uh, to get the patient, the patient should stand for an elective examination. It yeah. should stand quietly. It should allow the mouth to be looked at, the paws touched. And that being said, we still at. we still do a lot of sedated nail trims yeah. and a lot of sedated grooming. So just, you know, some of it's just, you know, fear on the pet's part. Some of it's bad experiences before, that kind of thing. So and chemical restraint is is much easier on the pet, even though there's higher risk. Mm-hmm. There's actually higher, you know, if that pet's under extreme stress. right you know, it's, it's not going to do it's well. It's not helpful either. No. So yeah. you, you do have to use the chemicals sometimes to make this a more relaxing event. Even x-rays, the American Animal Hospital Association wants you to sedate your x-rays because it's a better x-ray. It is. You can really actually place the patient like you need to place it um, and, you know, do what needs to be done at the time of x-ray instead of, and then nobody gets hurt. For sure. And you know. you're, you're dealing with x-rays and you're, if you're exposing the pet to multiple x-rays because it won't hold still, you're also exposing the staff to multiple x-ray mm-hmm. um, True. You know, because the True. pet isn't holding still as yeah. well. So, so a few um, things to, to think about there. Um, going back to the anesthesia portion of it, um, mm-hmm. especially related to surgery, what are some good questions for people to ask when they're thinking about surgery and anesthesia? You know, first of all, what anesthetic products are going to be used? So how might pet be anesthetized? Um, and also, uh, what are the risks? And be open about the risks because uh, I've had some clients that are unrealistic and say, well, I don't want my pet to die under anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Well, we all don't want our pets to die under <laughs> right. anesthesia. Nobody wants to. Right. But there's, we have to be accepting of the risk that this is a high risk procedure we're doing the same type of surgeries as in human medicine and we're taking the necessary precautions to make sure that they're Mm -hmm. safe. Like um, your surgery paperwork that you get here um, includes a few steps, extra steps that the American Animal Hospital Association wanted us to do when we were accredited. And we've kept and continued with those. So those Mm -hmm. are, you know, um, power of attorney who can speak for you. If I can't get a hold of you, it's a surprisingly huge problem. Um, when we're doing surgery and you're supposed to have your phone with you in case anything happens, Mm -hmm. um, You've got to provide the name of somebody who doesn't. You couldn't believe the number of people who you cannot reach after surgery. And then also, um, or during the middle of surgery, I should Mm -hmm. say. Um, And we have some, you know, your pet's will, um, your your will, as far as um, who's going to deal with your pet if something happened to you. Um, So we have a lot of extra steps that kind of freak people out. Um, but they are, you know, if you stop and just look at it, you think about it, it is pretty necessary to have those just in case you never know um, what's going to happen. That's right. It, it, because the form is, because we made the form, it's obvious that those things have happened. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have them on the form. You right. See? right. So, so it's it, a comprehensive mm-hmm. form, something similar that you would do in a human hospital. And that's what they're, you know, upgrading um, pet care too. So um, pets are family now. Everybody knows it. So those are all um, important. Um, so when it comes to like really understanding surgery, I spent a long time the other day on the phone with um, one of our clients. She just 
didn't know like that there was a tube, you know, like she was questioning every charge, which is fine. Just ask me, I'll tell you, that's fine. That's what everybody does. Um, but you know, just the basic understanding of surgery, how did I did, she didn't know there was a tube that went down their throat. She didn't understand like anything that really happened in surgery. So maybe educating yourself a little bit could probably be good for you as well. So you kind of have a handle on things when you book your appointment. And so you understand what's going to happen and ask as many questions as you want. Super important um, to have all of that. So veterinary anesthesia, um, as this uh, doctor said, there are only safe anesthetists. So an interesting article, this doctor is Anderson Dakunha, professor of anesthesiology at Midwestern University College of Veterinary Medicine in Glendale, Arizona. So interesting uh, topic today that um, a lot of people are very, very concerned about. Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to discuss um, what to do when you don't really know if you want to see a veterinary oncologist, if your pet has cancer and or a suspected cancer diagnosis, and maybe you meet with them. You're just not sure after that. We have some solutions that we provide to people for that because this is a really common thing that we see here in our holistic program. And we're going to also talk about pet waste and water quality coming up. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, You'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Get ready to go inside the lives of some of the top recording artists the music industry has known. Join host Troy Bronstein every week as he becomes a prince among queens. Troy discusses the careers and past, present, and future projects from these artists. And if there's time on each show, you just might hear some performance gems as well. Listen for Prince Among Queens every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back. Um, you can reach us at our uh, group, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. It's on Facebook. We'll answer any of your pet questions that you have. Just let us know what your needs are. We'll try to help you out or give you some direction or even send you to a vet in your area if we know one. Um, probably be able to find one for you, get you some help, right. whatever that may be. So um, anyway, we hope to see you at our group. Um, so you have a cancer diagnosis. This is getting super common in dogs because people are keeping their dogs throughout the entire lifetime. And they're also taking better care of older dogs. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, dogs are not like just thrown out when they're 10 years old anymore. They're not, you know, not as often anyway. I know it still happens, but just not as much. And a lot of people just really realize how much they can do for their animal um, pet care is advanced. So when you get a cancer diagnosis, it's always pretty shocking. Um, some people take this very, very hard and are very devastated by it. Um, the possibilities are pretty much endless, I think, for a cancer diagnosis patient. So one of the typical places you would go is to see a veterinary oncologist. I think probably any vet would refer you there if you had a cancer patient. Um, it's worth meeting with them to find out what they say and what they think about your pet's diagnosis. So um, we do see a lot of those. So holistic care works pretty well with cancer. And you've had a lot of success with um, holistic patients with tumors. Um, and one of the ways you've done that is just to be able to take a tumor and keep it from growing. Right, because uh, cancer cells are normal cells. They're just redundant cells. Um, they, the immune system didn't remove them. It allowed to keep growing. Unfortunately, they set up their own colony, just like a bacterial colony in which you get an organized mass. Now, most of the time when we're seeing an oncologist, we're seeing them for a more malignant mass versus a benign tumor. There's a lot of benign tumors too, which are still cancer, but they're benign and and, uh, the removal is curative. So especially like skin cancers. But at the same time, uh, malignancy means that the cancer went to the next level. It means it kind of set up shop and it's commanding its own blood supply called angiogenesis. It is taking nutrition from the body. Mm. The cancer cells like a particular nutrition, especially carbs. Really? Because it gives them a lot of energy. Mm. Carbs, uh, the reason carbohydrates are the cancer loves them is that carbohydrates going into the system provides extra nutrition. So the body says, well, I'm not going to use all this. And it goes to the cancer cells or the rogue cells of the body. And that's kind of how it originates because it is. And so um, redundant nutrition, it's like when times are good and things are going really well, you tend to store more things in the attic. Mm -hmm. And over time is when we are using what does nutri- redundant nutrition mean like you ate too much? Well, you ate the right amount, but you didn't need all that nutrition okay. at that moment. So depending on exercise, depending on age, metabolism, okay. all of those things are big factors. So especially in processed food, 
Now, dry food is uh, considered more available than, say, raw food. Raw food, it takes the body a lot more time to break it down. Mm -hmm. It takes, um, it's, it's more primitive energy, so the body has to process it differently. Mm -hmm. And so it's going to take a lot of extra body energy and starts to rob uh, the energy from those redundant cells and the body can get rid of it. Okay. Also with raw food diets, you tend to, fasting is important even for our pets because fasting allows us to recruit the best cells to go forward. Okay. Especially with a cancer diagnosis, we want the best cells working on this. Mm -hmm. We want the cancer fighters in there. We want the uh, strong white blood cells in there. Mm -hmm. We want to be sure that everything is, is doing the best that it can to fight this cancer off. So nutrition becomes a, a really important a thing. Huge situation. Right. So I don't, one thing I'm, I'm just curious about, it, are grain-free foods better uh, to feed your pet its whole life or something? Does that have anything to do with cancer, grain-free or grained types of foods? Or is it cheap food or processed food? What is, as food goes throughout a lifetime, what is your worst food? Well, the grain-based diets, if we have to pick one, are not necessarily the worst food because there are champion lines of dogs that eat grain-based food, mm -hmm. you know. So it depends on the genetics. The other thing is that um, it depends on the energy level of the patient. You know, if they're a sporting dog, they can get by with a lot of carbs in their diet because they're going to burn it off because they're, um, okay. they're, you know, they're using it up. Uh, but if you got a sedentary dog, say like a basset hound, it, it's it lazy. It doesn't want to do have as much energy. If it's that type, then uh, you shouldn't have so many carbs. You shouldn't have so many carbs. So, so it's carbs. It's carbs, carbs are, the, are the problem. Carbs and what's going out versus what's coming in. Right, and okay. in processing, the more it's processed, the more that energy is going to move into the system much easier. Um, and what I mean by that, it's like it's the food's already been processed to be absorbed. Mm -hmm. So the dog, it's already been chewed, if you will. Okay. See? So knowing, you know, following that formula, you know, half their weight in, in pounds is kilograms, roughly, mm -hmm. times 30 plus 70. That's the amount of kilocalories at that weight, if it's a healthy weight. Mm -hmm. If it's not a healthy weight, we can target what is the healthy weight to get the patient specific amount of food not just the range if you look at the dog food bags they'll say well two to three cups well you know you want to get more specific than that you want to say well it's a cup and a half right now mm -hmm. but in six months we weigh them again in three months you know what is it at that time what is the energy level did that shift or they get are they exercising less like the winter time um, extremely important especially when we're talking about cancers is what was the nutrition level and how do we reduce the risk? Now, there's mm -hmm. other factors involved in, 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 in keeping the pet healthy and reducing the risk for cancer. In my opinion, those cells exist regardless of health. Oh, but okay. a healthy dog just controls them and gets rid of those rogue cells. So a whole lifetime of following a good diet is a better idea than just uh, trying to lob it in at the last minute, right? Right, just taking a Tupperware and giving them a scoop, that's not good enough anymore mm -hmm. because there's other factors now that maybe weren't available back yeah. then that increase their risk just like it does for us. I mean, like epigenetics are starting to come up in pet care. Right. We're starting to see, you know, bigger studies going on, um, you know, 
testing you can do on your dog for different kinds of things. So I imagine this is going to be one, especially the cancer prone dogs. Um, you know, I know the really pale golden retrievers have a higher level of cancer than um, maybe the rest of golden retrievers. Um, I, at least that's what maybe it might be anecdotal. I don't really know. Right. Um, but if your dog is prone to something like that, you're probably going to want to start off on the right foot and have um, a whole lifetime ahead of you. Definitely from puppy to senior. Okay. But so say somebody comes in, you know, after the fact, you know, let's just not even really think about the health much before um, this all happened. What is your approach when an oncology referral just isn't going to happen? I mean, you know, it's, it is expensive. It is an added expense that maybe people can't afford mm -hmm. or they just look at it and say, well, I don't know, you know, if I'm really going to get that much more time with my pet. So I want to make them as comfortable as possible. We have a, an interesting case right now. Well, we have a lot of them. Um, with cancer and that kind of thing. Um, and this one was the uh, poodle mm -hmm. and it had a huge tumor. Yeah. It, it, it was a sarcoma, osteosarcoma. It was stationed on the top of the head mm -hmm. and uh, you know, they were, you know, familial wise, they talked about it as a family and they had a family member that went through a lot of chemo Mm -hmm. It wasn't successful. Doesn't mean it wasn't right for them. But unfortunately, then um, they have this historical information that says, well, if it didn't work for my human loved one, it's not going to work for my pet. So when we talked about uh, going to an oncologist, they didn't want to do it. And it's okay. But it, as long as you have that conversation, you know, why was that? Well, and they were very open about that. So going into the next step is then what can we do about it? You know, can we actually, uh, you know, help this pet at all? Or is it just, um, you know, an end of life discussion? And the answer is there's a lot of things that we can do. Number one, we talked about nutrition. Number two is we talk about different supplements uh, that we have, especially uh, this one called turkey tail mushroom is a great supplement to add to the diet. Uh, first of all, it's by canine matrix, canine matrix. It's they an awesome great product. Products. Yeah. And that's what this patient was on. And it helped to shrink the tumor down and improve the dog's quality of life. No, definitely. And we also, when they're having other symptoms, uh, then we can incorporate, you know, prescription herbal medications based on the pattern. Uh, we can adjust the nutrition as far as food therapy. Uh, if we need to go to a more cooling food or a warming food, you know, we can make adjustments in that, make adjustments in the and the vitamins and minerals as well. But, um, and then understanding if we're going off the grid, if we're not going to see oncology, is that we understand what are the possibilities? You know, we know that we can help the pet live a longer life, but there are some very aggressive cancers that say, you know, maybe a short life, especially if there's a tumor on the spleen. Splenic tumors are, can be extremely aggressive, unfortunately, uh, because that spleen can become very friable and it has a very large blood supply it's storing a lot of blood is that there's an extremely high risk when we're going off the grid with a tumor like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, mast cell tumors have uh, a greater chance that we can do something nutritionally, what about, but every pet has an opportunity. Yeah, what to about do pain for these animals? Do you have to support um, 
you, okay, so you got to support them nutritionally, then you have to support their pain levels. Right. You do have to do pain scores regularly, especially bone cancer it can be one of the most extremely painful mm. of all the cancers. So Aww. we do have to manage pain. Um, we also have to, um, you know, make sure that the pet's quality of life, but we're maintaining weight, that our nutrition going in and our, our ins and outs, as I like to call it, are, are really good. When you, know? you um, are managing pain, um, you know, a lot of times some of the pain relievers that are available on the market for dogs that are just like your average pain reliever, we're not talking about getting into controlled substances or anything. Mm-hmm. So the average pain relievers for dogs um, can hurt their organs. So you've got a dog that's compromised and they're extra compromised. You know what I mean? So you're getting a lot of different concerns that are going on. Um, So to avoid that in their organs, there is a new um, just pill pain reliever called Galaprant, Mm -hmm. which doesn't affect organs, which is good. It's better than, you know, like a regular NSAID. And then um, some people have turned to CBD. This is the Chill by Mount Aura Calm and Relaxed Peanut Butter Flavor Bites. Um, These are a new product from them. They're super cute. Uh, packaging, as you can see, but um, the power of CBD and something like that does pay off. For sure, because you manage their pain level based on the response. And and uh, there's certainly stronger medications, as you mentioned, controlled uh, drugs like morphine, for example. But you can get a lot of endorphin release. It's much stronger than morphine. Um, also, um, there's a, a medication called paroxicam that actually can target cells and reduce oh, really? pain. Um, used a lot for bone cancers. As the patient is making its recovery, we want to make sure that the patient's quality of life is good, that their pain is managed, that their appetite is good, their exercise level is good. Um, and we then we can uh, continue to incorporate with alternative medicine. Even my mentor said, if they're in pain and if they're suffering, you have to use traditional medicine first to get them comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, Regardless, if you go to an oncologist, now the um, in, you can even do low-level chemo in clinic versus seeing an oncologist as well. Sometimes we need to do that or talk about it at least. Uh, but mm-hmm. oncology, I always give that as the first option. You can mm-hmm. see an oncologist and just talk about it from a yeah. Western standpoint. You know, what are my options? What are the risks? What are the costs? You know, it's obviously more expensive. Uh, you know, to see a specialist and to go through that uh, protocol. But at the same time, it gives you information. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. informed it's consent. It's always good you, to know. Yeah. Good to know. Um, so we've also used SRT pretty successfully in some of these programs. So our custom holistic testing service that we have here at Riverside, it's based on energy medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, everybody's energetic. You know, you stand next to somebody who's like a super negative person, you just tend to start picking up on that. And you tend to start feeling it. A lot of people do. Um, The same goes for somebody who's just a happy person all the time. They make you feel good. It makes you feel good to walk by them, be around them, that kind of thing. So energy is everywhere. And it's the next big thing that's coming in human medicine as well. We've been doing it with animals for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Animals pick up on your energy. They pick up on everything in in, in their environment. So with SRT, you did, with that poodle, have a lot of success mm-hmm. with the big, huge thing on the head. Right. We went through the, the seven analyses, which is the average uh, number of layers that we're looking to clear uh, to help this patient. Because the, the, the biofields, we often 
sometimes you get into the woo-woo now and we say, okay. what is this biofield? Uh, it, it's energy that has to run the body. So at the cell level, there has to be cell energy to hold the cells together to make a liver. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's bioenergy. Okay. Um, you have to have cell communication. Okay, we're going to need to talk to each other. And then as a system, you need to, this organ system, this liver has to be able to talk to the heart and talk okay. to the brain and talk to the adrenals. So that's also important. And so balancing all of that is what you're trying to do. Right. It's the biofield that once it's balanced, it, you can use the whole body to help out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that Western medicine is wrong. It's just not sustainable for long periods of time because it's concentrating on one organ. Mm -hmm. Holistic medicine, we want the other organs to get involved because if the, if the liver's diseased and the heart's okay, we can use the heart to help out. We can use the kidney to help out. So like energy from the heart, the kidney, right. other organs can support a different organ. Right. Till it feels better and then it can start giving back. So uh, and in this case, it was a uh, sarcoma. Mm -hmm. Okay. So pretty serious cancer. Very serious. Very aggressive. Uh, we were impressed that we could actually shrink, shrink down a sarcoma. I mean, it, it even surprised me when With they custom said- custom holistic testing. Right. Okay. Custom holistic testing, turkey tail mushroom from Matrix, um, you know, a whole food diet. That's all mm -hmm. we use for this guy. And he responded beautifully. Uh, he did come in to, uh, he developed a little bit of swelling, uh, but the tumor, and I believe that because you have a tumor on the head, you're going to have some lymphatic issues. Mm -hmm. So he started to develop a little bit of phlegm and stuff like that. So we used uh, Chinese uh, prescription herbs, okay. some Wei Chi booster and some stasis breaker just to get things moving again, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, he's far surpassed the prognosis mm -hmm. uh, because sarcomas like that usually, you know, 60 days at the most and we're getting into the three or four month window and he's still yeah. very happy. He said he's eating still and he's still very energetic. So going around having a good, right. good. So, so we some success there quite right. a bit actually. Yeah. yeah. Very okay. impressed with those. Good. Okay. Well, um, you know, that's a, just kind of an example of some of the things that holistic medicine can do for your pet. Um, you know, it, it can kind of, the thing I kind of like about it is that it gives this like window of time where you may have more, just a more peaceful time with your animal. You may be able to stretch out those last months it, and it may take care of a problem for, it may go into years like that, that, you know, we, you're able to support an animal, even if it has a tumor, cancer, whatever um, the issue may be. So it, it doesn't, you know, you get the diagnosis. It just doesn't mean it's the end. So there's, there's plenty of things that can be done um, like SRT, uh, custom holistic testing that can help. So plenty yeah, of just things. keeping the conversation open about it, you know, and what are the expectations and uh, you know, what if we have to go that route? You know, what is end of life? How do I know all those mm -hmm. things? And so uh, just keeping open conversation, I think uh, holistic medicine is also that it's the, you know, speaking, uh, you know, truthfully about uh, what the owner's expectations are, mm -hmm. you know, what they've experienced in the past. It's very emotional, as you mentioned. So yeah. just having that conversation, they feel a lot better, you know, they just, they, they let it out and they know, that they're doing what they want to do. They don't feel pressured into doing something uh, right. because let's face it. If, if you don't believe in it, it's not going to work. 
right? <laughs> it's just not. It's the placebo effect. We all know right. it. We all understand it. So it's, it's important it's for owner and the pet to also believe in it. Is, I mean, well, the pet's not going to believe in it, but um, the owner has to has to buy in. They do. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So moving on today, we're going to talk about pet waste and water quality. So everyone hates it when somebody else's dog goes in your yard. We all know. We've seen all the Facebook posts and all the community pages. <laughs> Why do you have to do that? And somebody walked by my house today and they let their dog go. Okay. We get it. It is absolutely awful <laughs> to be that neighbor who does that kind of thing. But it is one of the biggest pollutants. Uh, dog waste is one of the pollutant, biggest pollutants that there is out there. So it's something actually to think about, not just on your own little block, but on a global issue and an environmental issue all around. So what are you doing to risk your health? Well, with pet waste, flies can spread disease from animal waste. Diseases or parasites can be transmitted from pet waste to humans. Mm. And some of those diseases include Campylobacter, Cryptosporidium, Toxicarius, and Toxoplasmosis. Toxicarius is roundworms, which are disgusting, but they also get in eyes. So Mm. um, it can happen to a child. Uh, They come in contact with roundworm, gets in your eye, and that can cause blindness. So we're not talking about something that never happens. It's something that actually does happen. Yeah. In fact, I, uh, uh, years ago, we, we talked about, um, you know, larval migrants in the eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was speaking to a, a lady about it and she said, you know, and I started talking about, you know, the pictures they show and said, yes, my husband is that in that picture. Are you kidding? So he was one of those kids that, that had, had larval migrants and oh, he went blind kidding. from it. And um, so it was very real. Um, oh, wow. They used to say, and maybe it's gone up or down, uh, but the statistics uh, for every hospital in the United States was at least one case of larval migrants, uh, you know, especially in young children. As you mentioned, they go out and play barefoot. They, they're, they're playing in the sandbox and things. Sandboxes were uh, most notorious, especially for toxoplasmosis. Yeah. The, kitty, the feral cats will use that as a litter mm-hmm. box, yeah. right? And so the kids will get into it. But, but um to me, it's a ploy maybe for thinking about more fresh food. So if we take raw food, for example, okay, raw food comes out biologically active, but it's good. This bacteria. is what people don't understand. Um, and I saw this on a Facebook post. Okay. It made me so mad. I tried to explain it to them, but they just didn't get it. So if it goes in and it's raw, so it could, your, your pet's food, you make it at home, whatever. It has salmonella in it. The salmonella comes out the other end. It doesn't just disappear. Mm-hmm. It's live when it goes in and live when it comes out. Does that make sense? Yep. And if you have a healthy dog, healthy in, healthy out. Okay. So that's a biologically active, but it's good bacteria. So you're not going to get into the, the parasite what's issue. Bacteria? What's coming out in the stool. So even though there's bacteria. What do you mean? Like the salmonella isn't good bacteria. Well, it for for instance is that it's been processed properly okay. to break down very quickly right. and actually be good bacteria because it breaks it down very fast you're not going to get in, if there's disease there it's going to break that down extremely quickly as well you mean like in your yard it breaks down fast exactly right. so but a preserved can, dog food is going to sit out in the yard forever well let's think about it is that a preservative is a preservative Mm-hmm. So preservative in the dog food is, is not breaking down the dog food. 
but a certain percentage of that is going to go through the system and not be fully broken down. So if the processed food is coming out, if it's an unnatural preservative, you're going to open up the door for other bacteria uh, because oh, that okay. stool sits there saying. for much longer. So if, if you can do an experiment. I've often thought about it. I've never tried it. No, it's just do, we're not doing that. Feed two separate, <laughs> feed a little bit of raw food, feed a little bit of dry food. If you have, the, the deal is this though. If your dog ate a raw diet, you have to clean that up yes. because that still can leave salmonella or, you know, whatever was in that meat. It's still there. So if your dog is on a raw diet, you can't have a therapy dog on a raw diet because they could go into like a nursing home or whatever, wherever they're working and spread that around. Right. There's certain restrictions. Do it in your house probably too. Um, spread it around, I suppose. Um, and so if you're doing that, it would be very irresponsible for you to leave that on anyone's sidewalk. Um, it's just irresponsible no matter what your dog is eating. So right. some things you could do, you could flush it down the toilet, the septic water system uh, or sewage treatment plant that removes most pollutants from the stream uh, reaches, uh, you know, lakes and, and other outdoor waters uh, to prevent plumbing problems. Don't try to flush debris such as rock sticks or cat litter, just the hard stuff. If you know what I mean, mm -hmm. um, you can bury it in the yard in a hole and you can also just simply put it in the trash and around your house. If you leave pet waste to decay in your yard, be sure it doesn't become a problem to prevent well uh, contamination, clean up areas near wells, storm drains, ditches, and waterways. So um, that's all from the University of Wisconsin Extension Program. A uh, good idea. And then, you know, remember, everybody has pooper scooper laws in their communities. So that's just the way it is. You're going to have to deal with it and highly encouraging you to clean all that stuff up. Also, um, one of the other things I was going to tell you is we have free little pooper scooper bags and you can get them replaced here anytime you need them. So easy on that one. All right. So clean it up so you don't ruin the environment and you know, your neighbors, they're going to be pretty mad at you too. <laughs> Part to be responsible. You don't want to, it is. Like, as you said, no matter what. It's no fun, but it's just what it is. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you at Holistic Bed Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson on Facebook. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to awesome woo woo holistic vet advice please join your host dr jim and kristen carlson again next thursday morning at 8 a.m pacific time and 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel now go make some time with your best friend